You're now listening to a Binge Bull Brain podcast, the show that teaches simple neuroscience-based strategies to ending binge eating, overeating, and emotional eating through the inside-out understanding of your habits. I'm Natalia, your host, and I'm here to help you create wellness without the obsession. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Binge Brew Brain podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the difference between the mind and the brain. And I'm going to tell you exactly where your binge eating habit is stored, where your eating disorder voice is coming from, and how you can use that concept to overcome your binge eating disorder. So I can't wait, guys, to share this with you. It's a life-changing concept. This is going to blow your mind. It's truly transformative episode. I can't wait to receive all the messages from you of, you know, how your life has changed just because you listened to this podcast episode. <laughs> okay, okay. That last part, I was kind of joking. <laughs> You know, I've been listening to many, many other podcasts, uh, also podcasts produced by other coaches, especially business or marketing coaches, and I've noticed how they overhype their content. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, the concept that they are sharing, they are sometimes like normal things that you could Google in like five minutes, you could find blog posts about that, but they are presenting it in a way that is, <laughs> yeah, you just have to listen to that. And I kind of understand that because great content isn't that great when it's presented not in the right way. So I understand why they want to hype you up <laughs> so much. And I think that I'm just not enthusiastic enough <laughs> on my podcast. I think that you may underestimate my episodes just because I'm presenting them in more, I don't know, indifferent, passive way. So my question to you is, should I just be myself, be my mellow, easygoing self, or should I put a little bit more effort to sound more, I don't know, impassioned? <laughs> Anyways, let's go. Um, let me tell you why I'm recording this podcast episode. So I wanted to expand on the concept that, I, that I've already introduced in the episode called Stop Self-Sabotaging with Food by Resolving Inner Conflict. So I want to piggyback on that podcast episode. So at the end of um, this episode, I told you that there are two parts of you. So there's your essence and there's also your personal habitual thinking. So your essence is your mind and your personal thinking is your brain. And this is how I choose to see my inner interaction. But of course, remember that it's all entirely made up. I don't know the truth. And of course, the problem of the brain versus mind is deeper and more complex than you could ever imagine. <laughs> and when I talk about the mind-body problem, in this case, brain would be the body. And this problem is just challenging, both uh, philosophically and scientifically. We don't know how they interact. And in our culture, in our nomenclature, we often use mind and brain interchangeably. 
And this is how most people see it. So when they refer to brain, they usually see it as just an organ as a part of the body that consists of nerve cells, aka neurons, and also glia cells. However, mind, uh, well, for most people, mind would be your psychology, your inner speech, your mental processes. And that includes Thoughts, concepts, uh, problem solving, making decisions, memories, perceptions, intentions, and so on. So interaction between mind and brain is complicated. We don't know how it actually looks like. And there are many different approaches to to this problem. You probably have heard about uh, dualism. So uh, in case of dualism, uh, people who believe in that, they see that the mind exists independently of the brain. So, for example, in Christianity, um, I think that this is an example of dualism because people um, who believe in Christian God, they do see their body and the soul. So there's a distinction between your body and the soul. And in dualism, most mental processes are seen as non-physical. Therefore, the mind and body are separate. However, they do interact. And I think that uh, a person who introduced this conflict, this concept, uh, this problem (laughs) was uh, Descartes. And uh, he just noticed that, you know, your knowledge, your intellect is a little bit different than your consciousness and self-awareness. And you might associate um, René Descartes with a famous quote, cogito ergo sum, uh, which means I think, therefore I am. And on a personal note, I think that he got it wrong or maybe we translated it wrong because I don't think that it's true that I think, therefore I am. I think that it's other way around. I think that I am, therefore I think. Like first I am, therefore I'm thinking. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I wanted to give you a couple of examples of how people uh, see this interaction between mind and brain. So one example would be dualism. Another example would be materialism. And materialism holds the idea that all mental phenomena are just neural phenomena. So there is nothing that's happening in your mind. Um, everything can be explained in relation to, to the matter. So the way you think, uh, so the fact that you think is just the result of neural activity in your brain. And we've got also the opposite um, stance, which is called idealism. And idealism says that their reality that we know it is all constructed in our in our mind. <laughs> so you could be a brain in a jar and all the things that surround you, all the matter is actually the representation of mental processes. So all of the matter around you, you just imagine this. <laughs> so th- those are a couple of examples how we can see the interaction between brain and uh, mind. Well, some people throw into the mix also, you know, the divine intervention. So they say that there's a God or maybe there's a universe or maybe there's also a universal mind uh, that everyone, each one of us is a part of this huge universal uh, mind. Anyways, what I wanted to say is that most of the philosophies point out that the mind and the body are depending on each other. So the mind is kind of separate Yet it is also inseparable from the brain <laughs> because the mind uses the brain. 
and the, the brain responds to mind and all mental processes can physically change the brain. Therefore, mind and brain are constantly changing like, like the whole universe. And please notice that right now I just talked about brain and mind. I didn't even go to the hard problem of consciousness <laughs> and I'm not qualified to talk about that. Like the concept of how consciousness starts, how it arises, like this is just another level of complication. <laughs> Anyways, I want to share with you my own distinction between mind and brain. And it's going to be different from what I've just told you. And again, the distinction I'm going to make, it's all made up in my own mind, or perhaps I've heard it somewhere and now I don't remember <laughs> where I've heard it. And probably, you know, I integrated different ideas. Anyways, I want to share it with you just to simplify your life and simplify your eating disorder recovery. So how I like to think about mind and brain, I think that this is useful and it helps me in making better choices. And I believe it can help you too. So right now I want to tell you a little bit more about how I see the brain and how I see the mind. And again, it's going to be probably slightly different from what you've heard. So the brain for me is a physical organ, is an aspect of the body. It consists of tissues, nerve cells. Like <laughs> you probably agree with me on that. And I believe that brain receives information from the environment around us. And this combination of filtered information and probably some uh, outputs from the inside, it all creates the responses of the nervous system. So the brain creates the internal representation of the world. Brain is also the place where all of our memory and received knowledge is stored. And it is stored in connections between nerve cells. And of course, neurons are made of proteins. So probably memories are just like proteins. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and brain, of course, has also limited storage capacity. It stores limited amount of data. And brain can answer factual questions that start with who, what, where, why, and how. For example, who is this? When did the Battle of Midway start and end? Where's Kilimanjaro located? So your brain also contains all your personal thinking, also your ego. So it contains all the stories you created about yourself, others, and the world. And because brain is an organ, it has its function, like every cell in the body, it also has DNA. And probably in our DNA, there are some things encoded that all of our brains are, are supposed to be doing. And because our genes are selfish, they want to survive. <laughs> so our brain is working in the survival of the fittest mode. So brain craves safety, stability, comfort. It has a preference for short-term rewards over long-term goals. So the brain is programmed for survival. And there are not so good things associated with that, right? Because when we experience stress, our brain jumps into survival mode. We quickly develop habits. 
Our brain also rapidly learns how to respond to environment in automatic ways to make sure that we can survive and pass our genes on. You probably have heard me many times before that brain is biased towards negativity. Brain compares you to other people. Brain catastrophizes, dramatizes, generalizes, uh, categorizes. It likes to worry. It makes unhelpful interpretation. It helps to predict the future. And also, I believe that all habits are wired in the brain. So your brain can be wired to falsely associate binging with pleasure, dieting with happiness, thinness with success in life, etc., All your mental habits, all your behaviors, personalized thinking, common knowledge, it's all in the brain. So let's talk about the mind. (laughs) And again, it's problematic to describe mind. All people see it differently. And also we have to be very general. We cannot be very specific because... Again, what is mind? <laughs> like it's it's a bit complicated, but this is how I see it. I see the mind as the essence of you, habit-free core of your being. So for religious people, they would see the mind maybe as your soul. And materialists would probably see the mind as something that is in your genetic code. Uh, Maybe some spiritual people would see the mind as the part of the universal mind, maybe some life energy that flows through you, maybe your consciousness, something like that. I don't know too much about all of those concepts, so I just want to see the mind as my true self, as something that has some, some goals, values. So the brain holds the common knowledge, however, the mind uses common sense. And mind also possesses some knowledge that that seems to be downloaded into your brain. For example, something like inspiration, different insights, inner wisdom, inner guidance. So the mind is more intuitive. And mind also answers open questions like, do I like dogs more than cats? Do I feel like going on a walk? How can I express myself through art? How could I contribute to the world? So when you use your mind, you have more awareness in your life. Insights come more easily to you because you listen to your true self instead of listening to what other people say or what you've been conditioned to think. When using your mind, you are more likely to make decisions that are aligned with your true values, which also means that you are more likely to achieve your long-term goals. And we need to remember that you don't have that much control over thoughts that pop into your brain. However, it's not the mind who creates thoughts. The mind is involved in the process of paying attention. Therefore, the mind can change the brain by changing uh, attention. So your eating disorder is probably wired in your brain as all of those habits. However, you can use your mind to heal because because the mind can pay attention, can make the final decisions. Therefore, you can, whenever brain produces those eating disorder thoughts, you are able to, for example, do not pay attention to them. You can dismiss those thoughts. You can listen to your true self. 
As I've made a distinction between mind and brain, there is something more I have to say. That mind and brain, after all, they do work together. They are a team and they are both equally important. There is neither a good hero nor the bad villain in this situation. So through evolution, of course, we developed a brain designed to help us survive. So we need those automatic habits to conserve energy. In dangerous situations, you need brain's quick action to, to ensure survival. So it's important to keep that balance. So the brain's primary goal uh, would be survival and safety. However, mind has bigger goals. If you would take a look at the Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, your mind needs to work towards something bigger. As you would, again, look at the, um, the hierarchy of needs, at the top, I think you have self-actualization. So this is the goal that, that mind is working towards. However, brain is more about those lower levels of needs. Okay, why I'm making this episode? Mainly to answer, to show you how important this concept is. Ask yourself, like, what happens when you don't see the distinction between what comes from your mind versus what is created in your brain? Well, you are stuck in unhealthy habits. Brain is running the show. You blindly follow your impulses to eat, to binge. You feel anxious, even in not-so-stressful situations, just because in the past your brain created neuroassociation between uh, that kind of situation and feeling of anxiousness. Uh, what else? You believe all unhelpful stories about yourself, that you are broken, that you have addictive personality, that you're impulsive, that you're the lost cause. You react to all contaminated thinking without questioning the truthfulness of those thoughts. And of course, you are acting out of those unhelpful thoughts that create disordered eating and eating disorders. So what I want you to remember after listening to today's podcast episode, that you have limited control over your thoughts because it's the brain that generates those deceptive brain messages. So when you let your brain run the show, your life will be full of unwanted habits and addictions. So since you cannot directly control your brain, because you cannot control, you know, protein synthesis, um, neurotransmitters release, electrical impulses, like you cannot control that, you need to find a different way to show your brain what is important and what is not. So you can control your attention with your mind. And attention can change your brain, can rewire your brain. And I'm going to tell you more about that in the future episodes where I want to talk about quantum Zeno effect. That's very interesting. Anyways, you can change your brain via self-directed neuroplasticity. And all you need is to pay attention to what you pay attention to <laughs> and also learn how to respond to those unhelpful brain messages. What is also helpful is seeing yourself as separate from your habits that you engage with. So you need to see yourself, your true self versus your contaminated thinking because you are not your diagnosis. Once a binge eater doesn't mean always a binge eater. You are just a person who innocently believes the lies that 
um, your brain is serving you. So self-directed neuroplasticity is the key to binge eating recovery. To induced brain rewiring is often helpful to see yourself as something more than your body. Biology is not your destiny. Your life isn't predetermined at birth by your genetic makeup. You are also more than your thoughts. As a baby, you were already you. You already had some preferences, instincts, emotions were flowing through you all the time. You knew when you were hungry. You knew when when you were tired. <laughs> also, talk to nurses who take care of babies. Right after after birth, babies are already slightly different. Maybe because of genes, maybe because what they were exposed to in the utero, doesn't matter. Not much personal thinking, but already different. I mean, those babies, they do not have uh, that much personal thinking, but they are already slightly different. And similar with animals. Other mammals, or maybe also other animals, they do have some simple thought processes. They do have emotions. They do have social connections. So even though uh, they do not create elaborate stories about themselves, they still have different personalities. I know that because I've been in love with all of the animals. I've been working with so many horses. Uh, I love cats. I love dogs. I've met so many of them and they were all different. So I believe that each person, or in my opinion, each creature on this planet has something unique in them. That's their essence. So your uniqueness doesn't lie in your story about yourself. It's not in your thoughts. You don't need to be afraid that letting go of all of that contaminated thinking will somehow make you, I don't know, a formless blob, a grain of sand that is just like the other grain of sand. I know that when people say that they should drop their personal thinking, they're afraid of losing their sparkle. They are just too attached to their own mental processes. But what I see is quite the opposite. Like people who see that thoughts are not that important, like those are like people you are you are drawn to them. When people let go of believing in all of their thoughts, they let go of identifying with their thoughts, there's more love, compassion, understanding, calmness. I think that there are more upsides of following your mind rather than processes in your brain. Even though right now you might be identifying yourself with the processes that happen in your brain. Okay, guys, we did it again. Yay! I'm so proud of myself because I'm recording all uh, July's podcast episodes in one week. <laughs> and that's been challenging because my neighbor is, was also drilling for most of the days. So I, I had a hard time finding a moment to record. <laughs> Anyways, I've got a question for you. Do you like more general topics on how the brain works or should I be more specific and focus on talking only about eating disorders? Because recently I've noticed that I just talk about, you know, more general things and I and I just wonder whether I should always try to put it in the context of eating disorders or maybe you're fine with um, the way, the direction I'm going recently. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for listening and see you in the next podcast episode. Bye! If you enjoyed today's podcast episode and you would like to stay in touch with me, 
Make sure to follow Binge Pro Brain on Instagram and if you are ready to take this material to the next level and apply what you've learned, then go ahead and submit your coaching application for my Binge Pro Brain coaching program. Thank you so much for joining me today and have a great day. Bye!